Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So we have lit the fourth candle in our Advent wreath. Uh, the first candle was hope, the second was peace, the third, the pink candle, was joy, and the fourth candle, also purple, is love, and it reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So uh, this week, we will be wishing each other Merry Christmas over and over again. Do you know what's most likely to take the merry out of your Christmas? Nothing is more certain to ruin your Christmas than pride, injured pride. I mean, think about it. What are the things that are most likely to take Christmas from being merry Christmas to grumpy Christmas for you? It's going to be things like this. It's going to be like Christmas morning when one of your kids opens this pile of presents, rips through all the wrapping, has all the presents opened, and doesn't say thank you, but complains about the one thing he didn't get. It's going to be uh, that friend that you have for whom you spent hours shopping for the perfect gift. She opens it in front of you, and you can tell by her reaction that she doesn't much like it, and she'll never wear it. It's all those relatives who will come over. You only see them once or twice a year, but they always show up for your Thanksgiving feast that you slaved over. They eat all your food. They don't say thanks. They don't compliment your cooking, and they don't lift a finger to help with the dishes. It's when your husband you know, brings you your Christmas gift, and you are underwhelmed by how little thought it took and how much less money it cost him. Or maybe it'll be that customer whom you have served faithfully all year long. And before she runs out of your shop, without tipping you, she wishes you Merry Christmas. Injured pride. You know what all those things have in common? You say, jerks. I'm surrounded by jerks. Uh, but really, what all those scenarios have in promise, in common rather, is your injured pride. I mean, think about how, you know, you, you say to yourself after it's all over, how did I raise such ungrateful kids? Or why is my friend such a snob? I need different friends. Or you find yourself saying, why do we ever invite those relatives every year anyway? Or you find yourself saying, is that how little my husband really thinks of me? Or maybe you find yourself saying, you know, maybe when she comes back in the new year, I'm going to cut her hair a little bit too short. Injured pride. Nothing can take the merry out of Christmas quicker than our injured pride. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, because pride is what causes most people to miss out on the whole point of Christmas altogether. 
In fact, maybe your pride has kept you from benefiting what Christmas is truly all about. We're continuing today our series we've called The Gifts of Christmas. We've been looking at specific verses in the New Testament that talk about what we have been given in Christ. Okay, so the biggest gift of Christmas, of course, was the gift of God's Son. We saw in week one, right? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Jesus is the big gift that is Christmas. But as we look into what that means and what he came to do, we find out that Christmas is the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's sort of a gift within a gift within a gift within a gift. And so we saw in the second week that not only in Christ have, have we received God's Son, but we were given the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us, for it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the what? The gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And not only that, but we saw last week that not only have been given in Christ the gift of salvation, but the gift of righteousness. And we looked at Romans 5.17 that talks about how because Jesus has given us his own righteousness, we can reign in life with him. Today we're looking at yet another gift of Christmas that is ours because Christ came, and that is the gift of eternal life. Our verse for today is Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these are amazing gifts, right? I mean, who wouldn't want, for instance, eternal life? The problem is that some of us will never receive it. And do you know why? Our pride gets in the way. Because to receive certain kinds of gifts, you have to swallow your pride. I like how Tim Keller illustrates this. He says, imagine an older man who is having a hard time hearing. It's getting less and less difficult to imagine all the time for me. Here's an older man, and he's uh, having a harder time hearing, and he's always complaining that, why are people always mumbling, you know? And his wife finally convinces him it's time to go get a hearing test, and when he goes to get a hearing test, the verdict is clear, he needs hearing aids. But he looks at how much they cost and he says, we could never afford those. And his wife says to him, let's buy the best hearing aids that we can buy for you and consider it a gift from me. And you might say, well, that's nice, except that it would be to to receive this gift is to admit his weakness. It would be like saying, thank you so much for this. Indeed, I am an aging man who can't hear what people are saying to me. That's a humbling thing, right? You've got to swallow your pride in order to receive a gift like that. And Keller goes on to say, there is no way to receive some gifts without admitting your need. The gospel is the ultimate gift that requires such a radical admission. You're never going to receive the gift that is Christmas until you can swallow your pride and admit that you need it. Some of us would rather turn down the gift that is Christmas than do that. Instead of admitting that one is a sinner who can't save himself, a sinner who needs the gift of salvation, many of us are convinced that we are good people who can earn our own way. In fact, that's what most every religion except Christianity teaches, right? You can do it. And so Hinduism, or Buddhism rather, says you can do it. All you have to do is follow the eightfold path. And Islam says you can do it. Just keep the five pillars of Islam. And Judaism says, you can do it, you just have to keep the law. And Christianity says, you can't do it. You can't. That's why you need to receive the gift. 
And that doesn't sit so well with us, you know, hardcore, independent, pay-your-own-way Americans that we are. We want to insist that we can earn our own way. And when you tell me I can't do it, that hurts my pride, and that makes me want to try harder to prove you wrong. That's why so many people stare Christmas in the face and basically say, keep your gift, Jesus. I'll earn my own way. Thank you. And that's where Romans 6.23 comes in, because Romans 6.23 confronts us with a choice, right? It's a choice between taking the wages you've earned or receiving the gift that is offered. It's the difference between what your stubborn pride can get you and what you can have if you swallow your pride and receive God's gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's consider the choice laid before us. Take the wages you've earned or receive the gift that is offered. Let's look more closely at choice number one. Take the wages you've earned. And the bad news here is the wages of sin is death. Did you know that it pays to sin? The Bible says it does. Now, the word wages that's used here is a word that was used to describe the wages paid a soldier for his service. Uh, and, and sin pays wages. If you want to earn your own way where God is concerned, the problem is you have to reckon with the wages of sin because we all sin. Well, what you earn by virtue, by virtue of being a sinner is death, eternal separation from God. And the proud person says, well, I object to being called a sinner. I'm a good person. It reminds me of a funeral that I once did for a godly woman in Pennsylvania at the church that I used to serve. She was a wonderful woman, and we extolled her virtues and what a great influence she was on people and how much she did for other people. And then I said, but the most important thing that we can say about her today is that she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And that means there came a time in her life when she recognized that like everyone else, she was a sinner. She had done things and said things and thought things that were displeasing to God. And she came to realize that she couldn't save herself. And she trusted in Jesus Christ and, and what he did for her. When he came into this world and gave his life on the cross as payment for her sin and trusted in him as he was raised to life, offering forgiveness of sin and, and new life to all who put their faith and trust in him. She trusted Jesus as her savior. Christ came to live in her life, and that's what explains the life that she lived from that point forward. It was Jesus living in her. It was her life being lived in gratitude to Christ for all that he had done for her. Well, after the funeral was over, two young men dressed in black suits, very sharp-looking guys, came up to me and they said, we've got a bone to pick with you. And I said, you did? I said, you do? What is it? And they said, you called our grandmother a sinner. She wasn't a sinner, she was a good person. And I said, well, hate to break it to you, but your grandmother would have been the first person to admit that she was a sinner. Your grandmother was the first person to acknowledge that, that because of her sin, she needed a savior, and that savior is Jesus. We all have sinned, we all need a savior, and your grandmother figured that out. Well, we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners, we like to think we're good people. But the Bible says that we're all sinners at the core. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are born with a sinful nature, and we choose to act on that nature. And so we say things, and we think things, and we do things that are an offense to a holy God. 
And someone says, well, sure, I may do some bad things, but the good that I do far outweighs the bad. I mean, if, if God were to take the good in my life and put it on one side of the scale and the bad and put it on the other side of the scale, the good is going to certainly outweigh the bad, and he's going to see that, and he'll let me into heaven. But that's not how it works. It's not a matter of how much good or how much bad there is in your life. It's the fact that there's any sin at all. One sin makes you a sinner. One sin, sin is enough to condemn us to eternal separation from God. I mean, think of it this way. Let, let's say that I am a really good person. Let's say that only one time a day I have a bad thought. One time a day I say something I shouldn't say. One time a day I do something I shouldn't do. If I could sin just three times a day, I'd be a, a very good person, don't you think? But now think about that. There are 365 days in a year, so three times 365, that means that I would sin a little over a thousand times a year. Now imagine that I live to the age of 80 and I die and I stand before the pearly gates and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And I say, well, God, I've been a really good person. In my whole lifetime, I sinned only like 80,000 times. (laughs) Now it sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? And the fact is, it's not that I've sinned 40,000 times or 80,000 times, it's that I'm a sinner by nature. And I choose to sin by choice. And the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And the wages are always the same. The wages of sin is death. And you say, okay, yeah, so we're all going to die. So what? And if you live long enough, it becomes apparent that sometimes the choices we make contribute to that death, right? So there was this doctor who said, that he estimated that about 80% of the people who came to see him in his office came not because some strange bacteria had invaded their bodies. 80% of the people who came were there because of lifestyle choices they had made. Either they had eaten too much and now they're dealing with the effects of obesity or they, they drank too much and they blew out their liver or they smoked and now they have lung cancer. 80% of the people who come have contributed to their own death, if you will, have hastened their own death by the choices they've made. Well, that's true. Uh, But clearly, uh, you know, you could say the wages of sin is death in that regard, but clearly in the context here, it's not just talking about physical death. Death here in verse 23 is in contrast to eternal life. So, This death must have reference to a kind of death that also has eternal consequences. And and many theologians would argue that the death that's referred to here in verse 23 is the death we earn by virtue of our sin, and that's eternal separation from God in hell. You say, oh, there you go, preaching hell, you know, fire and brimstone. Did you ever realize that there's one person in the Bible who talked more about hell than anybody else? Guess who? Jesus. Jesus talks more about hell in the Bible than anyone in all of Scripture. Who has more of a right to warn us about going to hell than the one who is willing to give his life to keep us from going there? And not that the Bible needs any corroboration, but there's a book published years ago entitled Beyond Death's Door. It was written by a cardiologist at the University of Tennessee. His name was Maurice Rawlings. And in this book, he reported 300 interviews that they conducted with people in the emergency room there at their university, 300 people who had had near-death experiences. 
And the thing that was unique about their study was that the interviews were conducted immediately after the person came to. In other words, they had just had this experience and they were getting these reports fresh from the person who just had them. Now, they, they said that sometimes people would change their tune uh, months or years later, maybe not willing to admit to themselves or to their family that they had seen what, what they saw, but 50% of these people reported encountering images of fire, torment, and tormenting creatures and other sites hailing from a place very different from heaven. Dr. Rawlings concludes, just listening to these patients has changed my life. There is a life after death. And if I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. And someone says, oh, but my God would never send anyone to hell. Well, how nice for your God. Is, is your God the God of the Bible? Because the God of the Bible, you know, does have a, a final judgment where people end up in hell. And it's not even so much that he sends them to hell as they earn it. They go there because that's what they've chosen. If you refuse God's gift and insist on earning your own way, well, Jesus is saying, or God is saying here in Scripture, that the wages of sin, and we all have sinned, is death, eternal separation from God. It's like when I was teaching at the seminary. If a student were to come to me and complain about the grade I gave, I would say, well, actually, I didn't give you that grade. That's what you earned, Right? Uh, that's the wages of your laziness, your inattention, your unwillingness to work. You, you earned that. And, and so the scripture here is saying, it's your choice. Take the wages you've earned or receive the gift that's offered. Just remember, the wages of sin is death. That's why Paul is urging us to consider choice number two. So let's look deeper into choice number two here, which is to accept the gift that is offered. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We talked two weeks ago about how salvation is a free gift, right? It's given by God's grace. It's received through faith. I contribute nothing to it. I can claim no credit for it. It's all the work of God on my behalf. Jesus did everything necessary. When he came into this world, the eternal Son of God became a man. Because he's the eternal son of God, his life is of infinite worth. Because he became a man, he can represent humanity. And what did he do? He lived a sinless life. Lived a life that was entirely in obedience to the Father, moving at his direction. Never sinned once. And yet he died a criminal's death. He was nailed to a Roman cross. Why? Not because of crimes that he had committed. Not because he had sinned. But because he was giving his life on our behalf. He was taking our place, taking the punishment that we deserved giving that life of infinite worth as the only sufficient payment that could be made for all the sins of mankind. He was crucified, dead, and buried, but on the third day God raised him in power from the dead, victor over sin and death, offering eternal life and forgiveness to all who put their faith and trust in him. Jesus paid it all. There's nothing left for me to do except to trust him. Faith is simply admitting that I can't save myself. It's trusting Jesus to do for me what I can't do. It's trusting that what Jesus has done is sufficient to deliver me from the guilt and grip of my sin. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, 
The scripture says, I receive God's gift of salvation. I receive the gift of righteousness. And now Paul is saying, I receive the gift of eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? <clears throat> well, Jesus says that when we have eternal life, we won't come into judgment. We won't face the prospect of God's wrath. We won't perish. We have passed from death to life. The apostle John says that God is the one who gives us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so John is very clear that eternal life is having a relationship with God through Christ. Jesus himself said in his high priestly prayers, praying to the God the Father, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, yes, is about heaven one day, but it's about a relationship with God right now. The word eternal that's used here speaks of an unlimited duration of time, so certainly it has to do with life with God in heaven one day, not experiencing judgment, not perishing, but being welcomed into our eternal home. But it's more than that. It has to do with knowing God, knowing Jesus in the present. So it's not just heaven one day, but Jesus right now. It's a quality of life lived in right relationship with God in the present. And so some translators suggest that rather than saying uh, eternal life here, we should talk, should talk about unending real life. It's what Jesus talked about when he said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. It's walking in that newness of life with the risen Christ that Pastor Ken talked about last week. It's the kind of life that the Apostle Paul talked about. When he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the kind of life that David wrote about in the 23rd Psalm when he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David captures the present as well as the future blessings of a life lived in right relationship with God. If you know Christ as your savior, you have already begun to enjoy eternal life, not just heaven one day, but Christ right now living in us, giving us the life that only he can give, a life empowered by the Spirit that makes it possible for us, for instance, to live in freedom from addictions that kill and destroy, to, to walk in faithfulness in my marriage, growing old together with my wife and enjoying my grandkids. It leads to things like a reputation for trustworthiness that results in fulfilling relationships with others. Not protection from the adversities of life, but a connection to God that helps me prevail in the face of them. I've walked with Jesus a very, very long time now. And I can tell you that I can't imagine a more fulfilling life than this one that he has given me. I chose long ago not to take the wages I've earned, but to receive the gift God offers. I began experiencing eternal life when as a child on my mother's lap, I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my savior. And so I've enjoyed a life far better than I deserve, a slice of heaven on earth, I dare say. Not that I've had it cushy and, and not that I've, my life has been trouble-free, but rather that Jesus has been there every step of the way, encouraging me, coaching me, protecting me, providing for me, comforting me, doing his work through me.
Eternal life is not just heaven one day. It's life in Christ right now. But the icing on the cake is heaven one day. The Bible says that for a believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am, in the Father's house. So that Paul says, our citizenship is not here on planet Earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that an imperishable, indestructible, unfading inheritance is being kept there for us. The scriptures teach that heaven is a place of safety and beauty and joy, a place where every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more sorrow. Heaven is a place where division and strife cease. Can you imagine that? Where people of every tribe and language and people and nation will gather before the throne of God and join myriads of angels in worship of the king. I can't even begin to describe to you the glories of heaven. What I can tell you is, is will, that it will be blow your mind amazing and it will be forever. Do you know you're going there? Do you know you're going there? And someone else might say, uh, I hope so. I hope I'm going there. I hope I've done the, my, enough. I've, I've done the best I could. And I say to you, stop it. Stop it right now. This is what I've been talking about the whole time. Your best, my best will never be good enough. And if you insist on getting there on your own merits, you're not going to get there. We all have sinned. And the wages of sin is what? death, eternal separation from God. You keep playing that game of trying to pay your own way. If you keep stubbornly insisting on taking the wages you've earned, you'll die. That's what I meant earlier when I say pride is what keeps so many people from experiencing what Christmas is really all about. You can't earn eternal life for the wages of sin is death. You can only humble yourself and receive it as a gift but that's hard for some people to do. Their pride keeps getting in the way. Again, Tim Keller illustrates it this way. He says, Christmas is about receiving presents, but consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts by their very nature make you swallow your pride. So imagine opening a book on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a dieting book. And then you take another ribbon off, another wrapper, and there's another book from another friend, and it's entitled Overcoming Selfishness. And if you sincerely thank those people and receive these gifts, you're in essence saying, thank you so much for indeed I am overweight and obnoxious. <laughs> in other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so, you have to admit you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. Perhaps on some occasion you had a friend who figured out you were in financial trouble and came to you and offered a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If that has ever happened to you, you probably found that to receive the gift meant swallowing your pride. Well, he says, there has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires you to do. Christmas means 
that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you're not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a good and moral life. Christmas demands saying, I can't do this. I need Jesus. To truly celebrate Christmas means I stop demanding the wages I've earned and receive instead the gift he offers. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Don't let your pay-your-own-way sense of pride keep you from truly celebrating Christmas. If you insist on receiving what you've earned, you'll die. To receive eternal life, you must be humble enough to receive God's gift, so I'm urging you, swallow your pride and receive the gift that is Christmas. For the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's bow together in an attitude of prayer. If you've already received this gift, maybe just spend these quiet moments giving thanks to God. But there are others who you came in here today and you honestly thought you had to earn it. You honestly thought that, you know, the, the way to get to heaven, the way to please God is by being a good person, trying real hard, going to church, maybe giving some offerings, helping the poor. You know, and all those things are good and commendable. They're all parts of what the Christian life should look like. But now you've come to understand that if you insist on on receiving the wages you've earned, that ends in death. And you're ready to say, you know what? It's time to swallow my pride. Time to admit that I'm not a good person who can earn salvation, but I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. That like everyone else, I have done things and said things and thought things that are an offense to a holy God. And now I've come to understand that God has done so much for me. He's basically done everything necessary so that I can receive in his son this awesome gift of salvation, this awesome gift of eternal life. Not just heaven one day, but life in Christ right now. His living presence guiding me through life. And it may be that you're saying, okay, I'm ready to receive the gift. What do I do? Well, just tell them right now, quietly, from your heart, that you want to receive this gift. Say something like, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thought I could do this. I thought I could earn my way, but now I acknowledge I can't. But I... Thank you that you love me so much that even when I was a sinner, you sent your son Jesus to give his life for me 
I thank you that you raised him from the dead, proving that he had conquered sin and death. And that now I can have eternal life through faith in him. I trust him now as my rescuer from sin and my leader for life. I I recognize that he's the only one who can make it happen for me. And I receive him now gladly as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Wash me clean. Come into my life. Take control. Have your way. Show me how to live this new life in Christ. Now, if that's the prayer of your heart this morning, could I ask you to quickly slip up your hand so that I can see it? I'd like to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several. Anybody there? Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to ask those of you who raised your hand to do one more thing before you leave today. On your way out to the parking lot through the main foyer, you're going to see on the right a great big green banner that says yes on it. And Paul is going to be standing next to the banner. Just go up to him and say, I said yes. That's all you have to do. And he's going to put in your hands a a booklet that we've prepared for you entitled Saying Yes to a Relationship with Jesus. It kind of talks about some of the things we've talked about here today and and gives some first steps in, in living your life in Christ. So please, before you stop or you go, stop and see Paul. Say, I said yes. He'll be right next to that big green banner that says yes on it out in the foyer. Now let me pray for you all. Father, how I thank you for those who said yes here today, for those who who said, you know what? I'm not going to depend on what I've earned. I'm going to receive this gift. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus this morning, I pray, Father, that you would richly bless them that you would send them away with the knowledge that in Christ their sins are forgiven, that in Christ they have the free gift of eternal life, that in Christ they have a a savior, a helper, a keeper, a guide who will be with them through the rest of their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and watch over them and help them as as they walk with you. Help them to find that that abundant life, that life to the full that Jesus and only Jesus can give. And Father, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, we won't go through it as as proud people who think we can earn our own way, but rather we'll go through it as, as humbled people who are grateful to have received this most amazing gift of all. Lord, I pray that we not miss out on Christmas because of our stupid pride, but that in swallowing our pride, we would all receive this most amazing gift of all through Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.